This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. So glad you're with us again. Uh, I hope you're continuing to follow the book tour, Teddy and Booker T. I'll be in Kentucky this weekend. I'll also be in uh, Dayton, Ohio, and be stopping in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, bottom of the hour, we're going to talk to Christopher Rim, CEO of, of Command Education, college admissions consultant. We've got to talk about what's happening on our college campuses, and Brett Baer is standing by. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What we're doing here shows that Democrats are serious about getting Ukraine done and the Republicans are not. We're serious. We're giving them a golden opportunity to pass a proposal on border. Unbelievable. Uh, Senator Chuck Schumer, Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan have to be funded and protected. But I agree with Republicans. Border security must be in the package. Tempers flare behind closed doors and a deadline looms. Number two. Does that speech not cross that barrier? Does that speech not call for the genocide of Jews and the elimination of Israel? You testify that you understand that is the definition of intifada. Is that speech speech according to the code of conduct or not? We embrace a commitment to free expression. Unbelievable. Uh, That is Elise Devonick going at it with her. Harvard president, where she went to school, heating up on all fronts. Israel's war versus Hamas rages in Gaza. Campus violence and overall anti-Semitism hits fever pitch, and it's clear campus leadership is indifferent. Number one. Fears of a dictatorship. The alarming prediction for a second Trump term. He says, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? I said, no, 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 other than day one. We're closing the border, and we're drilling, drilling, drilling. After that, I'm not a dictator, okay? That's different from being a dictator, but that's, everybody's running with it. Uh, 2024, Tom, the Trump town hall. He shows the confident front runner, and he also knows the challenger. Nikki Haley does have some traction, donors and dollars, and both beat Biden, who claims he can only beat Trump. We look at where we're at 11 months from Election Day and six weeks from Iowa with Brett Baer. Brett, I want to bring you to a little out of order. Great to see you. Of course, this is the same Brett Baer whose book is selling exceedingly well. It's called To Rescue the Constitution, George Washington and the Fragile American Experiment uh, out now. But, Brett, I I want to go a little out of order. Yesterday you talked to uh, our counterpart to Defense Secretary of Ukraine, and he wants to get aid to fund his war, which is literally running out of bullets. How successful do you think he was? What was your impression of him? Listen, I think he's a serious guy. I think that he is, um, you know, he came in in September after some questions about corruption uh, with the previous guy. And uh, so he's intent on making sure everything's transparent. At least that's how he talks about it. He's very, you know, accomplished as far as laying out his plan. But as far as what is going on on the ground, I don't get the sense that they have major momentum. And in fact, you know, it, it feels stalled. Um, I 
I was questioning why President Zelensky was scheduled to talk to House and Senate members separately in a video conference and then canceled about five minutes before. Um, he said it was the war and there are different things to deal with, understandable, but I guess when you're making that pitch, that final pitch for much-needed funds, um, maybe hop on the Zoom. I'm not sure what's happening behind the scenes, but I kind of probed at it different ways, different times. All right. Yes, you did. Here's a little of that exchange. Cut 28. You think you're going to get the funding up there? Uh, we 100 percent sure that we're along with U.S. defending the national interests of both of our countries. And we need the support. He went on. Cut 27. As a minister, I'm, as a person, I'm known for the anti-corruption. So we said that we will eat this for breakfast. We put the all the verticals, horizontals, put the agency uh, to work, uh, put the uh, contract management process, procurement tender process. So uh, we have audits, financial, uh, legal audits, forensic audits, and we have a general inspector uh, checking it on a daily basis. So basically speaking, by the end of my 100 days, we would be everything mm -hmm. in place. And we are ready to go and invite a parliamentary oversight committee to cross-check all our doings. Right. Part of the reason why we got everyone's hopes got so high because we were having so much success and Kiev did not fall. And then they began taking back some of the areas of the country that the Russians took on the surprise invasion. And now that this stall, we, we can't glaze over the fact that they've killed almost 300,000 Russians. Oh, yeah. And you also can't glaze over the fact that they protected Kiev yeah. and they protected much of their country. And the fighting is on the outskirts of the Donbass and Crimea. And they, according to him and according to Zelensky, are trying to go back to 1991 borders, which includes Ukraine, all of the Donbass, all of Crimea and kicking Russia out. I do sense, though, Brian, that as this goes on and as the world gets a little um, tired of funneling the money in there, even though, you know, you can make the case that we're not putting our own soldiers on the ground and it's an investment for us, but it's harder and harder to make, especially in the Republican caucus. As time goes on, I think there is pressure to make a, some sort of a deal with Russia and how that works, what it looks like and what it ends up being. I don't know what it is. Right. A uh, couple of things, too, that go along with that. The big battle royale on Capitol Hill to get some funding before they go on Christmas break. The behind closed doors. I always like that because that means they're not doing it for the cameras. Tom Cotton evidently erupted at Chuck Schumer because Chuck Schumer said, I'll just do it. I, I'm not going to do the border with this war funding. It has nothing to do with it. Republicans aren't budging on this. You've seen this before. Who's got the leverage? You know, I do think Republicans have leverage this time. I do think that there is uh, the border is such a big story politically. I thought it was in 22. It, it turned out that it was, you know, eclipsed. I think now uh, even blue states and sanctuary cities and sanctuary states are really feeling it. And I think that the border uh, is something that Republicans can really push on. Yeah, let's just see how it's all said and done in, in between. So let's talk about the impeachment inquiry. Uh, they're going to put it to a vote. Now, can you explain to me? I really don't know the answer to this. They were just an impeachment inquiry without a vote, just like Nancy Pelosi did one on uh, Trump without a vote. Now they want to put it to a vote. Do you think they're going to, with a three-vote margin, do you think they have it? That's a good question. It really is. I mean, obviously, they don't have any Democrats, and um, you get – 
for skittish Republicans and you don't have it. So um, it's a dicey proposition to go down that road. But it's the proper road if you're going to follow the rules. Um, you know, Nancy Pelosi said she was going to put it for, to a vote and she didn't. And then, you know, went right into impeachment, obviously had the votes on a partisan party line vote. Um, but I, I think it's going to be close, Brian, and I don't, I don't know if they're going to get it. You know, what's so interesting is that using a pseudonym, email, uh, when he was vice president and beyond, it looks like Joe Biden was colluding or was talking to Hunter Biden's business partners that he's alleged to have been in business with, according to Republicans. So we see thousands of exchanges and text messages. Does that change anything? Well, you would think, but each one of these developments that Comer comes up with or the committee comes up with or discovered uh, hasn't really moved the needle because the pushback is always, oh, that's nothing. Well, if you look back at what President Biden said all along, uh, it is something. It's exactly opposite of what he said. So, um, you know, is it enough to push the ball to inquiry? I think it probably is. But do you have skittish Republicans who would vote no? Uh, maybe. Yeah, like uh, Lowry in New York. Uh, so uh, I guess we'll see how it goes. So Donald Trump last night had a town hall, as you know. Sean Hannity conducted it. Everyone is talking about this comment that uh, Sean asked this question and got this response. Cut to. Under no circumstances, you are promising America tonight. You would never abuse power as retribution against anybody. Except for day one. Except Look, for? He's going crazy. Except for day one. Meaning? I want to close the border and I want to drill. That's drill, not a that's, drill. That's not, oh, no. that's not retribution. I got I'm going to be, I'm going to be, you know, he keeps, <laughs> we love this guy. He says, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? I said, no, 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 other than day one. We're closing the border and we're drilling, drilling, drilling. After that, I'm not a dictator. So that- okay. So then uh, every other na- every other station just had aneurysms at that moment. He wants going to be I a know. dictator. Your thought about the president's answer and the reaction. Donald Trump, the former president, is the ultimate stirrer and chief. He is – he stirs the pot. He knows what all these people on other channels are going to explode about. He knows that their head is going to explode. And so he says, except on day one, but then follows it with, I'm going to drill and I'm going to close the border. Then after that, I'm done. And they stop at except on day one. And they say, see, it's evidence of what Liz Cheney is saying. Um, He knows exactly what he's doing. And he is stirring up his base. They love it. And um, I I just don't understand how this goes forward. I I looked at all those articles. I've read every single one. Some of them make interesting points about what he said publicly. But I just don't think that all of those articles are going to move the needle in the middle of the country, which is kind of sick of this economy, despite all that Bidenomics talks about, and is kind of sick of the border situation and of crime and of other things. So what about Joe Biden saying the only reason I'm running and then walking it back slightly, the only reason I'm running is because uh, Donald Trump's running. What does that do to his fundraising and what does it do to his possible uh, other other people who thought about running? I mean, I wouldn't put it on a bumper sticker. You know, (laughs) I might not be running if Trump wasn't running. Amazing. That's not exactly like I got to finish the job. 
that's like if this guy wasn't the opponent, maybe I wouldn't do it. Um, I, I think it, it's uh, what is Washington, you know, the truth uh, coming out in, in some of these behind-the-scenes donor events. And it's really interesting. He said a number of these things. I think he thinks it's all off the record and he just says it. Um, but obviously it gets out. Yeah, it does. Uh, let's let's talk about you. You were at the Kennedy Honors. How was that? What was that like? And where'd you get that blazer? It's awesome. <laughs> a little wine colored. I yes. decided to go with a little, uh, yeah, a little different. You know, we go to so many black ties uh, in and around stuff, charity stuff. Um, it's time to mix it up. But anyway, Amy likes to get dressed up. We have been to the honors many times. She's on the um, uh, advisory board uh, for Kennedy Center. And um, so it's a lot of fun. It's a great event. Barry Gibb, uh, Dion Warwick. Billy Crystals was really good, so it, it was a good night, and um, and it's you know one a year, once a year. I think it airs on the twenty uh, seventh of December. So you got the History Club now, dual across time, out for kids, and you have to rescue the Constitution, George Washington, and the Fragile American Experiment. According to reports, these and you could just uh, say it's not true. These are great Christmas gifts. Do you have a counter narrative? <laughs> I don't, other than. You have the box set, which I'm very jealous of. <laughs> I would like the three days box set with the to rescue box set. But I agree. The, the, listen, the kids book is a lot of fun. And I've had a lot of people come back to me and say their kids really love it and they want book two. So I'm, I'm psyched to that. Uh, that has taken off. I've talked to a lot of schools just in the past few weeks. And um, and a lot of kids are hungry for that kind of thing, which um that kind of history in young kids, I think, is really important, as you, I think, agree. Every parent goes up and goes, I wish my kids were learning this in class. Uh, and now they have to get your book and read it after class where they can read a class. Brett Baird, thanks so much. Uh, pick up Rescue the Constitution and pick up uh, his new book, The History Club. Go get him, Brett. We'll see you. one 408 I'm going to be back in just a moment. Take your calls. Bottom of the hour, we look into about the command education, college admissions consultant. Uh, Christopher Rim tells us uh, where we're heading now and why is, can't, why is the campus so unsafe for Jewish Americans? Don't move. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The more you listen... The more you'll know, it's Brian Kilmeade. Will admissions offers be rescinded or any disciplinary action be taken against students or applicants who say, from the river to the sea or intifada, advocating for the murder of Jews? As I've said, that type of hateful, reckless, offensive speech is personally abhorrent to me. And today that when no action will be taken, what action will be taken? When speech crosses into conduct that violates our policies, including policies against bullying, harassment, or intimidation, we take action, and we have robust 
disciplinary processes that allow us to hold individuals accountable. So MIT, University of Pennsylvania, Harvard leaders, uh, down to the presidents of these uh, institutions, as well as Yale, down defending the anti-Semitism on campus and trying to help people work their way through it. Instead of saying, I'm so embarrassed, I can't believe this happened. we got to look into our curriculum and our kids. They said, what about Islamophobia? We, do, we decry all hate. We, uh, they just tried to, what I call a four corners offense, just wait them out. That's before there was a 30-second clock in uh, college hoops. Or they tried to rope-a-dope. Oh, you could say whatever you want to say. I'm just going to be here for a certain amount of time, and then I'm going home. Here's more for Elise Stefanik, who was relentless going after the president of the school she graduated from, Harvard. Cut 17. What action has been taken against students who are harassing and calling for the genocide of Jews on Harvard's campus? I can assure you we have robust what actions have been taken. I'm not asking actions underway. I, I'm asking what actions have been taken against given, those students. Given students rights to privacy and our obligations under FERPA, I will not say more about any specific cases other than to reiterate that processes are ongoing. Harvard ranks the lowest when it comes to protecting Jewish students. This is why I've called for your resignation and your testimony today, not being able to answer with moral clarity, speaks volumes. And, and she was so direct and she has no, by the way, you have no respect for your alumni either. You should be proud of her. Evidently, they tried to take her degree away. Same with Kaylee McEnany. But then they tried to pass a resolution in the, in the House and they said, let's vote against uh, let's uh, let's vote to put it pass a resolution uh, that condemns anti-Semitism in America. Do you know who was against it? New Jersey uh, Congresswoman uh, Watson Coleman, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, big shock. Ayanna Presley, what an embarrassment over in Massachusetts. Then AOC, of course, Congressman Summerlee and Congressman Roe uh, Gravera of Arizona. Why would you possibly? And this doesn't end there. A Bowman, Mr. Fire Alarm, Corey Bush, who's got a huge Jewish community in her district. Hopefully she loses. Pramila Jayapal, you know how embarrassing she was. Elon Omar. And for some reason, Thomas Massey of Kentucky. How weird is that? Here's uh, more of that hearing. Here's with uh, Jim Banks with the University of Pennsylvania president, Liz Agill. Cut 18. Why did Penn let Professor Ahmad Amala off the hook, who led hundreds of students in chanting, there's only one solution Intifada revolution. Why does that professor still have a job at your university? Representative, our approach to uh, speech is as I identified, it follows and is guided by the United States Constitution, uh, which allows for robust perspectives. Robust perspectives. So you say in the conflict, I side with the terrorists who killed 1,200 people, 750 or 790 we're civilians. That's your option. The brutal rape of women. I don't really see it. Really, you didn't see it? Look at Hamas's website. They want you to see it. Christopher Rim on our educational system. Before they get to elite institutions like that, which I think is going to be hurting for students, yes. And I think hurting for donor bot, donor dollars. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. During these past months, the world, our nation, and our campuses have also seen a rise of incidents of Islamophobia. 
We are seeing a rise in our society in harassment, intimidation, and threats toward individuals based on their identity as Muslim, Palestinian, or Arab. We have launched an MIT-wide effort called Standing Together Against Hate. In addition to fighting anti-Semitism, it will address Islamophobia, also on the rise. Yeah, on whose stats? So those are a series of university professors on Capitol Hill yesterday, making sure everyone knows it's not just about the Jewish Americans, which it is about the Jewish Americans. Why they have trouble admitting it just reinforces to many people that the uh, these elite, so-called elite institutions, the arrogant institutions are very much out of control. So in terms of the students, they have a different story, the real story. For example, their story. Here's one University of Pennsylvania senior, Aval Yacobi. He was on with Laura last night to talk about what it is like on that so-called elite campus. Cut 21. When uh, Congresswoman Stefanik asked Liz McGill a very direct and clear question, in my opinion, does the code of conduct of the University of Pennsylvania allow students and professors to, to say and rally around the idea of the genocide of Jews? It was a very direct question. And President McGill said there needs to be context provided to calling for the genocide of Jews. I don't understand what context she is referring to. And it's, it's, terif- it's terrifying for, for myself and other students. The genocide of Jews doesn't violate the code of conduct. Are you serious? Yeah, they are serious. I can't believe it either until I saw it. Christopher Rim is CEO at Command Education, a college admissions consultant, and joins us now. Chris, I'm sure you watched all this, some of which you predicted. What stood out from you between the kids speaking up first, the students speaking up first, and the college president speaking up after? Thanks so much for having me, Brian. So I think, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, so many students are disappointed. Students are trying to transfer campuses um, or even schools. That's what I'm seeing right now. We've helped students who got into Columbia, into Harvard, and especially after uh, yesterday, President Gay's refusal to draw the line on a lot of this threatening um, hate speech, um, students are calling in. They're telling me, Chris, I loved this university before, but now... I don't care what school it is. I am not going to stay here at this Ivy League school, no and matter you, what the prestige right. is. And uh, she is president of Harvard. And instead of saying, you know, I put it this way, Christopher, maybe not you, but me. If you told me that anti-Semitism would rage after 1,200 uh, Israelis were really, uh, really just massacred, I go, no, of course not. That makes no sense. Number one, I don't think anti-Semitism is raging on campus. Number two, why would they do that when obviously we know who the victims are? Did you predict this? Definitely. I, I was like, I was thinking about how the way that the schools initially responded or didn't respond at all. And I think that was the first hint. And that's kind of how a lot of actually a lot of families also predicted this as well. And anti-Semitism has been a problem within Ivy League schools. Uh, since its founding, and especially Harvard and Columbia have very interesting histories with gatekeeping the institutions from Jewish students. This is nothing new, but the Hamas attack on October 7th and all of that really showcased and brought this uh, back to light. Here's what Victor Davis Hanson, he's at Hoover, but right on Stanford's campus, cut 22. Because of these new admissions where you throw away the sad or you don't uh, judge comparative high school GPAs, the Jewish population on these campuses has gone down to 10% and below. And you put all that together, and you've got a huge group of people 
who feel that there's no consequences in uh, mm-hmm. expressing their anti-Semitism. Is that the formula you think leads to this? I think so. You know, I think right now what we're seeing at these schools is that they're just not protecting all the students. They're talking about free speech. They're talking about all of this. But there's a clear line between free speech and hate speech, and that's where the universities are wrong. They're not protecting all students, even if they claim to be doing so. Chris, what I understand is nobody was talking about the Palestinian cause October 6th. You don't see anything for a Palestinian's homeland. You haven't heard much about that at all, really, since the Abraham Accords and the previous administration. You know, the Palestinian homeland, the minute Hamas won that election, it barely destroyed any hope of a two-state solution. Yasser mm-hmm. Arafat, went to, during the Clinton years, was over constantly. We know during the Carter years, this was a main story. But this has not been front and center. Why do you, how, what percentage of the people actually understand the complexities of this situation? I really don't think so. I think it's no, you know, part of this. Um, what they think is a like a woke movement. They think this is something that's going to, you know, it's something to be a part of. You know, there are a lot of organizations. What was it? Thirty-four organizations at Harvard that signed um, that infamous letter, right? A lot of those students, a lot of those um, organization leaders didn't even claim to have not even read the letter or those members, and they blasted thousands of names on it as if it was co-signed by all these students. So I don't even think they know what's going on. They're just signing on because other people are doing so. And I think that's the biggest problem. These schools are not allowing students to think for themselves. And if they think differently than someone on campus or their classmates, you know, they're exiled and they're ridiculed on campus. So I want you to hear this exchange because they're trying to say Islamophobia is as much of a problem as anti-Semitism. First off, is that what you have found? From the students that I'm working with, absolutely not. Okay. I have not gotten a single call from a student who's saying, you know what, who's, who's really on the other side saying, I need to transfer schools. The only students who are calling me and families who are calling me are Jewish students who I've helped to get into these top-tier Ivy League colleges and are saying that they're not safe anymore. I'm not getting any other calls. I want you to hear this exchange with the University of Pennsylvania president and Virginia Congressman Bob Good. Cut 20. Has there been any large gathering uh, you know, pro- uh, uh, in support of the slaughter of Muslims or the elimination of an Arab state on or near your campus that you're aware of since October 7th? Congressman, not that I'm aware of. Okay, thank there you. Have been- so you would agree then it would be immoral or dishonest to treat the two as equivalent problems on campus, meaning anti-Semitism and Islamophobia? Congressman, I, I abhor all acts of hate. So they have no proof that they came all armed to say the same thing. They said the exact same thing. It's just shocking. It's profoundly shocking the way that, you know, they wouldn't even acknowledge or just refuse to say anything meaningful. And what message does this send students on campus who are Jewish, who, you know, it's just it's really it's it's really shocking and disappointing to hear this from a university leader, especially from top schools like Harvard, MIT and Penn. When you say some of your students and uh, maybe other people who do con- college consulting for a living want to leave these campuses, what percentage of your clients? So right now, for example, I would say, I mean, some students, they're just um, laying low. They're not really active that much on campus. We have yesterday I had three calls. Uh, it really depends. You know, I have three students and we don't work with thousands of students. We're a boutique firm. We work with the majority of students um, come from the Northeast, from New York City. 
And, you know, the high school population that we work with are, you know, mostly Jewish in New York City from Horace Mann School, from Riverdale, from Trinity. And all these students that we're working with are Jewish or most of them. So I would say more than half of them who I've already helped over the past two, three, four years, you know, they're calling me saying, Chris, even though we only have two years left of college, Mm -hmm. I don't want my child to stay there any longer. No matter what school it is, we are like we have decided as a family to transfer and you know and i totally understand that i i get it so we're working with these students to figure out which campuses that they could relocate to and reapply to and i think this will create an insane amount of demand for those quote-unquote plan b schools and it's already happening with my current high school seniors that we're working with we've had students who worked with us since the eighth grade preparing to get to one of these top Ivy League schools like Columbia. This was her dream school, this one student I'm thinking about. Now the student's like, you know what, my top school is Emory. Emory was not even on her list three months ago. How do we find out what the, what the woke rating is, for lack of a better term? How do I find out what kind of campus life will be? Not so much the parties we used to be, but what kind of uh, environment I'm getting into. Is there something you look to? Or is it all personal experience, Chris? It's all, honestly, it's all personal experience. It also really depends every year, every class um, on so many different factors. It depends on who your classmates are, who you're paired with, or, you know, who your suite mates are, you know, all of that has a huge impact um, on each and every campus. So I can't generalize this because it wouldn't be fair because I have some Jewish students, on the other hand, mm-hmm. who are, you know, like I said, who are laying low. They're impacted, of course, but they're not trying to leave the university. You know, they, they feel yeah. okay. And I need to respect that because maybe because their roommates and suite mates are, you know, Jewish. They are to support them and Jewish. Yeah. yeah. So, so Chris, I don't know everyone's situation. So, Chris, I don't even know what they guide people on now. Number one, you need money to afford it unless you're going to get a huge scholarship. You need 80000 90000 to get into these, to pay for the tuition of these schools if you're not getting any scholarship. But, Chris, they don't want to do GPA. They don't want to do SATs. Everyone threw out class rank. How are you judging these kids? Yeah, so what we do is, I mean, these universities want to what they like to call a well-rounded class. They don't want a well-rounded student. So what they're looking for are students who have really demonstrated an expertise or interest in one specific area. Instead of joining 10 clubs, do one thing. And right now we're seeing this kind of movement, especially with the Jewish students I'm working with, who are really volunteering, who are setting up organizations to really, you know, help raise funds, attention to what's mm-hmm. happening and to really educate, you know, people at school, people in their communities. Right. And we're seeing a lot of this activism um, coming to light right now. And you're saying a lot of these Ivy League schools is looking for a plan. A lot of these Ivy League eligible students are looking for a plan B school. And lastly, Christopher, think about this. You get out of these schools. No longer is it going to be a ticket to wealth for a lot of people. For example, some of the Wall Streeters that are speaking up about the anti is anti Jewish attitude on campus are going to go. Oh, really? You went to Yale? You went to Harvard? You went to Columbia? Were you part of the pro Palestinian surge across the Williamsburg Bridge? What about the sit-in for Palestinian causes? Were you part of the threatening of Jewish students? I mean, that's going to be what's going to be going through a lot of these important people's heads. 
Yes, and actually, this, that's what it's already happening, especially after the comments um, university presidents made last um, yesterday, really, who testified in Congress. I think that's exactly what's happening, and I think you know the prestige level um, was really what attracted a lot of these students and families to these universities. Moving forward, I'm not sure um, what it'll look like. All right, uh, very enlightening, Christopher Rim. Thanks so much, CEO of Command Education and a college admissions consultant. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. All right, back in a moment. We gave you a lot, one 408 7669 Would you turn around and walk the other way if Columbia said you're in? University of Pennsylvania said, please come. Dartmouth, what about Harvard or Yale? Would you go if you knew this stuff was going on on campus? Brian Kilmeade Show. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at briankilmeadeshow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmead coming up. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. There are two essential and I think eminently reasonable prerequisites to the additional funding to Ukraine, and that is that we must secure our border. We need substantive change there. There's bipartisan concern and agreement on that. We must get it done. And then second, that they provide critical answers with regard to objectives, oversight of the funding, uh, our in-game strategy. And I don't know that all the answers that have been provided in there are satisfactory yet. And right now, uh, it looks like Speaker Johnson might be saying to himself, why did I want this job? Matt Rosendale warning him, I'm only going to sign up uh, and try to pass whatever you try to put out there from the Senate. If I get everything I want, he's only got a uh, three-person advantage. So right now in the Senate, just so you know, Chuck Schumer said, uh, I need $105 billion for Ukraine, Taiwan, Israel. And the Republicans said, yeah, and border and border control. You need border funding, you need to change to the asylum laws. And Chuck Schumer said, no, I don't, I don't think so. And he said, no, no, you, we're not passing anything without it. And behind closed doors, Tom Cotton uh, and Senator Crane just went off, uh, off and demanding that the military weigh in on it and say, don't you believe that for our America's safety and security, we need a border enforcement? They would not answer. Here's Chuck Schumer playing politics, cut 24. Two things happened Thursday and Friday that changed things a great deal. On Thursday, uh, Speaker Johnson called me up and said that he could only do Ukraine as long as H.R. 2 was attached to it. Immediately, I told him that's a non-starter. Second, on Friday evening, uh, the negotiations between Senators Sinema, uh, Murphy, and Langford took a terrible turn. Basically, even though... Uh, Senator Langford put on the table proposals that pretty much mirrored H.R. 2, which was a non-starter. And both Murphy and Cinema were just, they were surprised and very much saddened by what he did. And so we were at an impasse. Okay, number one, Senator Langford was here on Friday, and he was optimistic they could get something done. And he always talked about the border being necessary while still saying Ukraine is worth our time. Worth our energy, worth our dollars. It is in our national interest. But tempers erupted in the classified Senate briefing on yesterday when Chuck Schumer just went off on his talking points. Now, here's what uh, has been reported now by Axios. 
Uh, it looks like Senator Tom Cotton and Kevin Kramer were shouting questions at senior Biden officials in the room, including Secretary of State Anthony Blinken and Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff Charles Brown. Uh, he says, I took them on with the microphone in my hand, Kramer said, uh, told reporters, quote, I asked General Brown, his best military advice is supporting Ukraine and Israel important enough that Democrats could at least consider reluctantly supporting the southern border. He wanted to talk about Ukraine. Here's more from Chuck Schumer, Cut 25. What we're doing here shows that Democrats are serious about getting Ukraine done, and the Republicans are not. We're serious. We're giving them a golden opportunity to pass a proposal on border. If they vote no on the motion to proceed, it shows they are not serious about getting something done on border and on Ukraine. Well, you can't give Russia the win. I see the importance of that. Many Republicans don't. I do. And I want accountability. Absolutely. I want to make sure I don't want to pay for their pension plans. It's not going to happen. I want to get them weapon system they need right away. I want to get them the F-16s. They got the pilots trained. Get them going. Let's do it and put it all together with border security. Even the even the non-political FBI director, Christopher Ray, said this. Cut 29. Oh, Christopher Ray, I'm, I'm, I am concerned cut, cut that we are in an elevated threat environment, a heightened threat environment from foreign terrorist organizations um, for a whole host of reasons. Um, and obviously their ability to exploit uh, any port of entry, including our southwest border, is a source of concern. Right. He's trying desperately not to sound like James Comey. I understand that. He looks like he's playing politics. If he comes out friendly for Republicans, well, Donald Trump put you there. You're doing Donald Trump's plan. If he comes out for Democrats, Republicans say you're a political operative. You know how dangerous that border is. And he does. And I think he's put the, different dif- uh, the difference effectively there. Look, I think all this has to be done. I think it's absolutely necessary before the holidays. I think the Ukrainians deserve it. Doesn't mean they're perfect. But don't let you think that they're just a bunch of corrupt guys counting our money. They are fighting for their lives. They are in target. The Russians are aiming for civilian targets. And I'll tell you, Ukrainians just want to take out their military. Hey, go to BrianKillMe.com. Find out where I'll be this weekend. Dayton, Kentucky, and then Charlotte, North Carolina. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here, coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Big hour coming your way. Senator Marshall Blackburn standing by in 15 minutes. Then Julian Epstein, who will be joining us, served as chief counsel to the House Judiciary Committee and staff director to the House Oversight Committee for Democrats in 96 to 2001. Uh, real strong. Uh, give us an idea of what's going on as Joe Biden really makes some news by saying, hey, the only reason I'm running because Donald Trump is running. We have a big debate tonight. I think all of them are big because now we're down to four. Each time they lose another valuable or another still point of view on the right as we get six weeks from Iowa, we're down to four. I think that's good news for the Republican Party because all four are strong in their own way. Chris Christie knows everything. Maybe the anti-Trump road is very tiny, but it's there. Then you have Trump who's winning by 40. Uh, DeSantis, who is all in on Iowa. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What we're doing here shows that Democrats are serious about getting Ukraine done and Republicans are not. We're serious. We're giving them a golden opportunity to pass a proposal on border. 
Right. Uh, you mean separately, which means it's never going to get looked at. Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan have to be funded and protected. But I agree with Republicans. Border security must be in the package because Democrats are not going to vote for it isolated. We get it. Number two. Does that speech not cross that barrier? Does that speech not call for the genocide of Jews and the elimination of Israel? You testify that you understand that is the definition of intifada. Is that speech speech according to the code of conduct or not? We embrace a commitment to free expression. Heating up on all fronts. The Israeli war versus Hamas heating up. It's raging in Gaza as campus violence and overall anti-Semitism hits a fever pitch. And it's clear campus leadership is indifferent. Number one. Fears of a dictatorship. The alarming prediction for a second Trump term. He says, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? I said, no, 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 other than day one. We're closing the border and we're drilling, drilling, drilling. After that, I'm not a dictator, so that, okay? Uh, well, show con- uh, that's a very confident Donald Trump last night. And he is the front runner and the leading challenger for President Biden. As Nikki Haley gains traction, donors and dollars. And both beat uh, Biden, who claims to be... The only reason to be in there is to be Trump. We're going to look at what we're uh, what we look at 11 months from Election Day and six weeks from Iowa. And that's where we'll begin. So far, it is Donald Trump big. And this is one argument that has just gone by the wayside. That is that according to almost every poll, Siena, New York Times, CNN, Fox News, Reuters, the Donald Trump beats Joe Biden head to head. Smaller margin, larger margin. Now in a brand new poll in the Harris poll, the messenger Harris poll, uh, Trump would beat Biden by Seven points. Uh, also, Nikki Haley would win by four points. She also significantly outperforms DeSantis against Joe Biden and would attract more independent voters than Donald Trump, 40% to 37% for Donald Trump. Get this, though. LinkedIn founder Reid Hoffman, a top Democratic donor and supporter of Joe Biden, an anti-Trump financier, recently gave $250,000 to a pro-Haley super PAC. Why? Is, she con- is, is he convinced that she can't beat Joe or that Trump, uh, that Trump could beat Joe. That's why you got to get her in there. J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon urged Democrats last week to rally behind Haley to give GOP voters a choice on the Republican side that might be better than Trump. I don't understand if he understands the political process, but asking Democrats to rally around Haley in a primary is ridiculous. Doesn't happen. It's very few open primaries. Senator Joe Liebman says, hey, I would like Nikki Haley on no labels. We'll see. But listen to this quote. President Biden concedes he is not sure he'd be seeking re-election if it wasn't for Trump. Quote, folks, this is a big deal, this election. We've got to get it done. Not because of me, and I mean that, if Trump wasn't running, I'm not sure I'd be running. A little bit later, he decided to walk that back uh, just a little bit and just came out and Trying to go, try to collect, uh, correct the record. But I think some damage is done. Listen to Steph Knight of Axios uh, last night on a special report, Cut 8. We are still seeing questions raised about whether he can actually pull this off again in 2024, looking at so many polls that seem to indicate that people are losing interest, that young people in particular are not sure that they can continue you know, voting for Biden, whether it's over his stance on Israel or other issues. So there are definitely warning signs there. Wow, they're very interesting. See some warning signs there. That's what everyone sees. But at what point does he back out? Does he say that's it? It's not enough. So Donald Trump said something kind of interesting. He does not believe that Joe Biden will be his opponent. He does have an idea of who would be. Cut six. 
Well, I saw one person on who I actually had a very good relationship with, but I'm sure that it would end very quickly. I saw him in your debate the other night, and he's slick, but he's got no facts. You know, he's got no facts. Uh, I thought he did well, considering... You're talking about Gavin Newsom. Yeah. Yeah, considering Gavin Newsom. But he said he had no facts because I think the better way to say it, Mr. President, if I may, is that the facts aren't on his side. The homeless situation, the price of gas, the the amount of taxes, the amount of people leaving your state. You could either ignore it or just make up stats that show things are better than they are. They're not. So I'm curious to see now that Nikki Haley looks as though she's the hottest on the stage between Vivek, Ron DeSantis, and Chris Christie, how she's going to handle being the focus and centerpiece. I sense she'll be good. And the best thing to happen to her is Vivek to trumpet his foreign policy because it's so bizarre. That's how I look at it. Here's what Donald Trump went on to say before I moved on. Cut seven. I love this state. We had two big victories here. Big, big victories. We won by a lot. From the enthusiasm in the polls, we're going to win by a lot more than we won even the last two times. But we won by a lot. It's, uh, I kept you first in the nation. You know that. I was the one. Nobody else. I kept you first. There was a big move, Sean. To move Iowa into the middle or to the back of the pack because they don't know if it represents this country. I said, Iowa represents this country more than any place, and it also represents tradition. When you think of Iowa, you think of farms and you think of politics, and we're going to keep it that way. Yeah, you got to think about politics. That's what he hopes for. Keep it about politics and keep it about farms. And he said, I was always going to bat for the farmers, and a lot of it paid the price, of course, when people stopped going out. Uh, when we have a problem with China, they immediately started trying to punish our farmers. They need to be supplemented, and he was there for them. But it still has not stopped a lot of powerful people from supporting other people. Ken Langone, one of the finest people you ever meet and one of the richest, worth billions of dollars, co-founder of Home Depot, seems to have been won over by Nikki Haley, cut nine. Yeah, I'm just about ready. I, I had a nice meeting with her yesterday in my office, and I'll tell you, she came through loud and clear straight shooter. She recognizes the challenges and the issues. And I think she's got the determination to effectuate change in America, which is desperately needed right now. Desperately. We, we can't keep going the way we are, not as a nation. She's got her head screwed on good, and she's very forthright. I was very impressed with the candor of her answers. And uh, I'm almost there. I um, I, I got a couple of things I want to do, but I'm pretty certain that I'm ready to jump on a bandwagon because I think she'll get it done. What he wants, and I think we should all want this. Right now, 74% of our budget is automatic payments, automatic withdrawal out of our account, you know, so-called entitlements, even though uh, people have yelled at me, and, and rightfully so, that Social Security is not an entitlement. I pay into it. I should get the money back. So I apologize. Uh, but I'll put that in that lump to understand that it comes out automatically. The other 25%, you got defense and everything else, and now you people wrestling over the 25%. You have to increase the revenue and get out of the automatic payments. Social Security needs to be revisited. Donald Trump wants no part of it. He thinks it's a loser. So many seniors will begin to panic, and maybe they are panicking. If Nikki Haley comes out and says maybe the age should be 67, how about that? We're living a lot longer. When the age was 65, we used to live till 60. It was a killer uh, for everybody else. So I'm going to be excited about that. Listen, I want to take, I want to give Julian Epstein some, uh, excuse me, I want to give Senator Marsha Blackburn some time. I'll take a short time out. Uh, we're going to go over what is happening now on Capitol Hill with the package that's supposed to fund two wars, Taiwan 
and I want border security. Is it indeed possible? Mitch McConnell's dug in on this one. I hope he stays dug in. Don't move. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. An Israeli student whose identity and personal info was sold online for a bounty has not left his dorm room in weeks. Being a Jew at NYU has meant being physically assaulted in NYU's library by a fellow student. 36 hours ago, I, along with most of campus, sought refuge in our rooms. As classmates and professors chanted proudly for the genocide of Jews. So that's just a little of the give and take among uh, some of the students on these uh, elite college campuses from MIT to Ivy League schools, Harvard, Yale, and U- University of Pennsylvania. I could include Cornell and, and uh, Columbia, as well as NYU right here in New York City. Uh, a lot of these uh, Jewish students found, suddenly find themselves under attack. Senator Marshall Blackburn knows all this. He's a member of the Finance, Judiciary, and Transportation Committee over on the Senate side. Senator, what, did you, what were your thoughts? I know you got your own job to do, but when you saw some of this testimony in the House and saw some of these interviews for these students... It's astounding that in this country, at this point in time, that you would have Jewish students and the Jewish people under attack. And Brian, think about this. These kids aren't able to get out of their dorm room. They're being banned from going to certain areas. You have protests, pro-Hamas protests that are taking place on college campuses And you have leadership at these campuses that are not calling this out. How can anybody allow people to be on their ground protesting in favor of terrorism? And Hamas is a terrorist organization. In 1997, the U.S. decided to deem and name Hamas a terrorist organization. And when you look at what is going on, the fact that you're out cheering for people who have beheaded babies, have baked them in a microwave, have raped women to the point of death. But they put it online. It's not even an opinion. They put it online. They're bragging about it. They brag about it. They see this as the spoils of war. And they're bragging about it. And I have looked at every bit of that GoPro footage. I've listened to those intercepted phone calls. And it is disgusting. It is sickening. It is why Senator Rosen and I led and passed in the Senate a resolution condemning all of these anti-Semitic, pro-Hamas, pro-Palestine protests that are taking place on college campuses. It is why I have passed my legislation to freeze the $6 billion to Iran so that they never get their hands on that because Iran is the world's largest state sponsor of terrorism. Hamas gets most of their money, their training, their Mm. equipment from Iran. So let's talk about the major conflicts right now in this country, and that is our challenges. Israel supporting them, Ukraine supporting them, Taiwan looking out for the next attack and being ready so they can uh, fight off red China. So to do that, you're going to need $105 billion. 
and you guys on the Senate side, led by Mitch McConnell, want border security wrapped up in it. That does not make Chuck Schumer happy at all. He went off uh, about this, and he says you guys are to blame. Listen to him, Cut 24. Two things happened Thursday and Friday that changed things a great deal. On Thursday, uh, Speaker Johnson called me up and said that he could only do Ukraine as long as H.R. 2 was attached to it. Immediately, I told him that's a non-starter. Second, on Friday evening, uh, the negotiations between Senators Sinema, uh, Murphy, and Langford took a terrible turn. Basically, even though uh, Senator Langford put on the table proposals that pretty much mirrored H.R. 2, which was a non-starter, and both Murphy and Sinema were just, they were surprised and very much saddened by what he did. And so we were at an impasse. We're at an impasse. Do you, do you, do you accept the way he characterizes uh, the, what he has done is to say he will not accept securing our border. He wants us to go ten to Ukraine's border first. I, I find that unacceptable. If we're going to have a battle over borders, let's secure our border first. How can we go out and say to other people, we should use U.S. taxpayer money, and every penny the government has is a taxpayer dollar. So let's secure our border first, and then, of course, we should help Ukraine. But, Brian, we have put $113 billion into Ukraine. We have a consistent relationship with Taiwan. We have begged for our border to be secured. Even blue city mayors, like the mayor there in New York City, Mayor Adams, is, is begging for something to be done at the border. And, of course, Israel, we know what is happening in Israel. Israel needs money right. to uh, up the Iron Dome to replenish their stockpiles and to make certain that they can defend themselves because Hamas has said October 7th is just the first act and they're coming back to do this over and over again. So Jeffrey Epstein, why do you think it's important we get to the bottom of that? Jeffrey Epstein created an international sex trafficking ring, and we have heard from people that were survivors that the FBI would not take up their cases, and when they would present information, the FBI was very slow to move on this. This is why I asked Chris Ray, the FBI director, about it yesterday. Getting those flight logs, which I have worked now for a month to see if we can subpoena those flight logs. We need to know who all was involved in this because we have victims and survivors from this. We have individuals. We have girls and children. Uh, we understand Jeffrey Epstein had a lot of child sexual abuse material. Why won't Dick and Durbin Brian, take it up? Why won't Dick Durbin take this I, up? Why I does... don't know. He has claimed he does. He was unaware, didn't know anybody wanted to do this. Dick Durbin, I would invite to come to my office Sit down, meet with me, join me in trying to deal with addressing the crimes that took place against women and girls because of Jeffrey Epstein's international sex trafficking ring. Yeah, we, we just know the who's who. We know Bill Clinton's all over that. We know Bill Gates is all over that. We, uh, we hear other celebrities are all over that. 
Uh, maybe that's why. If you're on Jeffrey Epstein's plane going to his island, you have to be a VIP, either a billionaire or a famous person. And do they still have sway? That's the question, Senator. Is that why you're getting the pushback? Yes, we we want to make certain that these are open, that people know uh, the pushback. I do believe, Brian, is being directed at me and at this subpoena request because there are people there that they think they want to that they want to protect. But we've got victims. We have survivors that are out there of a sexual abuse ring. So it is imperative that we get this mm-hmm. get this information out. All right. And by the way, RFK told uh, Fox yesterday, been on the jet twice, but had no idea about sex crimes. We'll see how that flies. Senator Marshall Blackburn, thanks so much. When we you come, got it. You got it. Meanwhile, when we come back, uh, Julian Epstein, uh, he gives us the inside take on Washington. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Morally, I think we cannot say that one war crime deserves another. That is not what international humanitarian with, with, law says. Okay, with, with respect, I was just asking about the, the women, and you turned it back to Israel. I'm asking you about Hamas, in fact. I already answered your question, Dana. I, I said it's horrific, and okay. I think that... Rape is horrific. Sexual assault is horrific. I think that it happens in war situations. Terrorist organizations like Hamas obviously are using these as tools. Mm -hmm. However, I think we have to be balanced about bringing in the outrages against Palestinians. So she got a lot of pushback and she should on that. Uh, You got to be kidding me. Balance? Really? What, uh, what, 790 innocent uh, civilians, many of which are women? Brutalizing the worst way imaginable, and we've got to give some balance. And she went on to try to straighten this out. It's a bunch of it's three paragraphs. I don't want to give her the time, but I'll just read this portion. She says, my comments about balance was not about rape and not intend to minimize rape and sexual assault. It was about recognizing the tremendous pain and trauma of so many Israelis, Palestinians, and their communities in this terrible war. I understand that I, I have critics who disagree with me on policy, but for them to insinuate that I would think say or act in any way that equivocates on rape is outrageous and completely inconsistent with my record and my life's work. All you seem to care about what's happening in Gaza, and that is solely Hamas's responsibility in my view. They are hiding behind the skirts of the Palestinians. They are running and stay hanging in, this, in the subways, which they call tunnels, and they're hoping they're not discovered while trying to kill innocent people who are unarmed. Julian Epstein joins us now, served as chief counsel to the House Judiciary Committee and staff director to the House Oversight Committee for, and he's a Democrat from 96 to 2001. Julian, these are some of the comments that I've just been astounded that are coming out of the squad and others on the Democratic side. Are you as a Democrat? Uh, Well, Brian, first of all, uh, delighted to be with you uh, again. It's been a couple months since we last talked. I think we last talked on uh, Fox and Friends on the Trump prosecution. So I'm delighted to be with you this morning. Um, Yeah, I mean, the Democratic Party and the left has, I think, uh, a and I think the Israel um, Hamas war has exposed this. Uh, The the left has a major anti-Semitism issue, um, as uh, Britain did with the Labor Party and Jeremy Corbyn. Um, And and it really comes down to to two things. I, I mean, as you as you just as you just explained, 
the Jayapal statement is sort of the latest example uh, of many, many examples with Democrats and many on the left saying uh, there's sort of blame on both sides um, and there's sort of some kind of moral equivalency here. And that is the most morally confused uh, thinking that anybody could possibly have, and it's shameful on the left. Um, this is not a morally confused situation. What This is not an issue in Israel where it's mm -hmm. a dispute over land for peace. If it was a land for peace issue, this would have been solved decades ago. The Palestinians have been offered land for peace on at least six different occasions. They've turned it down. This is a fight against Nazism and fascism. And, fa and Hamas, represent Hamas is no different from the ideology of Adolf Hitler, is no different from the ideology of ISIS. Um, it is a fascist ideology that is bent on destroying the people because of their ethnicity. It is that simple. Mm. And if people can't see that, then they are morally confused. Yeah, but, I have not um, seen any Republican uh, like equivocate on this. Joe Biden on the surface seems in support of it, and so does some other Democrats. I want you to hear uh, Hillary Clinton, Senator Gillibrand, and uh, Sheryl Sandberg. It is outrageous that some who claim to stand for justice are closing their eyes and their hearts to the victims of Hamas. The world has to decide who to believe. Do we believe the Hamas spokesperson who said that rape is forbidden, therefore it couldn't have possibly happened on October 7th? Or do we believe the women whose bodies tell us how they spent the last minutes of their lives? When I saw the list of women's rights organizations who have said nothing, I nearly choked. Where is the solidarity for women in this country and in this world to stand up for our mothers, our sisters, and our daughters? I love that. I, I got to give salute Hillary Clinton and Chuck Schumer. You have a good speech. You waited too long to give it. But, uh, Julian, did you know this was percolating underneath, especially with younger Democrats and so many on these uh, elite campuses, these Ivy League campuses? Well, we've seen this. Uh, we've seen this developing for a decade now. And it's this insane anti-intellectual ideology of uh, the left that is starting in the universities the same way the Cultural Revolution in, in uh, China started at Beijing University in the 1960s. This sort of very left-wing, what I think is sort of neo-Marxist way of understanding the world, either you're in a, you, you understand everything through the oppressor versus the oppressed lens. Um, and we saw that, uh, we certainly saw that in the last three or four years in the wake of the uh, sort of the George Floyd protests. We saw that well before that. And it's sort of this ideology that has developed that if you are uh, sort of the, the, the lighter your skin and the more successful the, your group that you may be associated with, you're more likely you're, you're considered the oppressor. Uh, uh, if you if your skin is darker and uh, yeah. you come from a less successful group or you belong to a less successful group or uh, a, a less prosperous group, then you're considered the oppressed. And it is this bizarre sort of um, uh, completely anti-intellectual ideology. But it's really manifested itself in two ways, I think, on the left, Brian. Um, if you look at what the left did with Elon Musk um, – uh, Elon Musk uh, retweeted a, an unfortunate tweet about immigration, and it went, and the left went uh, and essentially blaming 
the open borders policy on uh, the Jewish lobby that uh, the Jewish left had sort of lobbied for, you know, permissive immigration policies. And he was wrong to, I think, tweet that. But the left went absolutely berserk over Elon Musk. Consider that the left has been now almost entirely silent about the explicit anti-Semitism that we have seen um, from voices on the well, left. There so I did. Julian, two, two uh, chapters. I hear two you. chapters of Black Lives, Move, Black Lives Movement tweeted um, uh, tweets that were sort of celebrating the Hamas attack. The Democratic Socialists of America, countless academics. We've seen explicit anti-Semitism coming from voices on the left. The Democratic Party has not condemned. And then, as you pointing out, we're seeing this sort of softer anti-Semitism, this sort of um, – you know, there are both sides to the argument uh, that has manifested itself, right. not just in this refusal to 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 address the attacks on the women and the brutal attacks and the celebration by Hamas of these attacks on women. But you've seen this with um, uh, countless sort of university professors who I are mean, we saw it yesterday on Capitol Hill. And right now, listen, there's a there was an anti-Semitism resolution. It passed the House yesterday. You know who voted against it? These Democrats, Congresswoman Bonnie Watson Coleman, Rashida Tlaib, Ayanna Presley, AOC, Summer Lee, all part of the so-called squad, uh, Garieva, uh, Jesus Choi Garcia, Bowman of New York, Cori Bush of Missouri. What an embarrassment she is. Jerry Connolly of Virginia, uh, Jay Apal, as you probably know, Elon Omar, that's no surprise. And Delia Ramirez, I don't know what Thomas Massey's doing in Kentucky as a Republican, but look at what are they thinking? Well, I think what they're going to find out is, uh, as as you've noted on your show, both the radio show and 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 on your the television broadcasts, um, there is a massive exodus from the Democratic Party now, from uh, working class blacks, working class Hispanics. Um, and many in the political center. I think sort of the failure of the Democratic Party to explicitly condemn voices like the L.A. chapter, the Chicago chapter of BLM, the Democratic Socialists of America, the countless voices who have endorsed statements like from River to the Sea, um, uh, all of these other voices on the left, um, some of which have been funded by the way, by Mideast countries, if you look at sort of the, a lot of this university activity is being fo- focused in a way that hasn't been traced very carefully, but a few have, document, a few have documented it. Uh, a lot of this money is coming from abroad. Um, the failure of the Democratic Party to really deal with that, I think the result you're going to see is you're going to see an exodus of Jews um, and all of the resources and the ingenuity uh, and the capacities that they bring um, in our politics, you're going to see the exodus of Jews from the Democratic Party. I mean, you've just seen too many examples of explicit anti-Semitism or this call for a balance. Uh, let's balance. You know, there, there, there are there's some moral equivalency here that's going on between what Hamas did and what Israel is doing to respond, which is an idiotic comparison. It's just factually wrong. Um, the fact that you see both sets of voices, the explicit anti-Semites and the sort of the balanced crowd, the appeasement wing of the Democratic Party, mm-hmm. uh, who thinks they have to appease some group of it's the far left. Yeah. You're going to see you're going to see an exodus of, of Jews 
And, and I think centrists from the Democratic Party you know, is a and, result. And the thing is, this is so real. It's not like, well, I don't like the tax policy. I think there's the Republicans are too much into defense. I think they want to cut Social Security. Those are the good old days. This is, uh, excuse me, who's an ally? Who's back do we watch? Who can we count on? Uh, right. And there's no better ally than Israel uh, outside the U.K. or along with. Julian Epstein, thanks so much for your perspective. Brian, it's great to be with you again. You got it. Uh, when we come back, we'll take your calls. Uh, and exciting guests, one 408 You're going to hear what's going on in those college campuses and get some highlights from the Trump Town Hall last night in a preview of tonight's debate. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. What action has been taken against students who are harassing and calling for the genocide of Jews on Harvard's campus? I can assure you we have robust. What actions have been taken? I'm not asking. Actions underway. I'm asking what actions have been taken against those students. Given students' rights to privacy and our obligations under FERPA, I will not say more about any specific cases other than to reiterate that processes are ongoing. Harvard ranks the lowest when it comes to protecting Jewish students. This is why I've called for your resignation and your testimony today, not being able to answer with moral clarity, speaks volumes. Yeah, all you have to do, that's Claudine Gay, all you have to do as president of Harvard is say, hey, you know what? Uh, we got two or three people that we've kicked out of school, four have been suspended, three are now in jail. I cannot go over details for their anonymity purposes, whatever legal gymnastics you have to say, but that's not what she wanted to do. She was there to give equal weight to Islamophobia. Emily Austin has seen this up close and personal. Uh, she is a, a former college student uh, over at a local Long Island school, but has witnessed this in the streets of New York City, anti-Semitism, uh, spent a considerable amount of time in Israel, and Emily Austin is with us right now. Emily, your reaction about that exchange? I'm just going to say what everybody is probably thinking. If the oppressed group in question was a member of the LGBTQ community or any person of any color, these professors and students would have not been expelled any quicker. But because it's Jews, suddenly it's okay, and suddenly everything needs further context. These women should be so ashamed of themselves. And if the world doesn't put so much pressure on them to resign, then we have failed. Yeah, here's what Bob Good found when he was uh, engaging uh, engaging with another one of these uh, leaders uh, about anti-Semitism on campus, the president of University of Pennsylvania, cut 20. Has there been any large gathering uh, you know, pro- uh, uh, in support of the slaughter of Muslims or the elimination of an Arab state on or near your campus that you're aware of since October 7th? Congressman, not that I'm aware of. Okay, thank there you. Have been... So you would agree then it would be immoral or dishonest to treat the two as equivalent problems on campus, meaning anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. Congressman, I... I abhor all acts of hate. So uh, they want to make Islamophobia equal to anti-Semitism. That is just not happening. Do you agree? Islamophobia is its own issue. And if there was a, a, a big, you know, problem with Islamophobia right now in the U.S., that should be addressed. But it's simply not the situation right now. The situation is anti-Semitism. So stop trying to group it with every other cause like racism and Islamophobia, right now there's a 900% increase in anti-Semitism, 900% across the globe. That is a problem everyone should be discussing and not trying to lessen it by joining it with Islamophobia. And the Biden-Harris initiative 
um, of, to combat Islamophobia has worked so well that now we are praising Osama bin Laden. It's just not the issue we should be dealing with right now. What is it like you walk in the streets in New York City? I don't walk on the streets anymore. I'm in a car or I'm out of a car. Being in Manhattan is so scary right now. And I'm so disappointed in our leadership. And I'm so disappointed with the negligence from the mayor and all of the politicians in Manhattan for their lack of outrage about Jewish safety. Not even one week ago, I was bombarded at a speech I was giving for FIDF in Manhattan. The authorities were downstairs, Brian, downstairs, unable to do anything while they are chanting, kill the Jews, third Antifada. The first and the second one resulted in thousands of Jews dead. Why call for a third one and get away with it? But that's a that's a problem with New York right now. So I'm not even walking around anymore. Well, that's uh, that's interesting because also on Monday I saw there was a surge through up through the Williamsburg Bridge, surge Brooklyn, two thirty in the afternoon. They surge over the bridge at four thirty. Who are these people? Do they have jobs? Are they getting paid? Yes. I actually saw a casting. I can try to find it for you. The same website that they use to cast background actors for movies and film, like freelancing, you can cast people to do protests, and you're getting paid 17 an hour. So for a broke college student, that's a great bargain. Well, who else would be off during the day to do this? And are these oftentimes the people that are rallying on campus, are they the students for the most part? I would say that they are students, but it's more so students who... I'm just going to, like, say it straight, are really bored and maybe seek attention. So what they do is they find these groups that, like, live in this victimhood mentality, like the LGBTQ community or the Students' Justice for Palestine. And they're like, oh, hey, you're oppressed. I'm oppressed. Let's join forces and let's go out there and make Israel look like the villain, even though they are the only democracy in the Middle East, even though LGBTQ members would be slaughtered in Palestine, let's go march against Israel. And they're like, you know what? We have nothing better to do. Let's go do it. And these are the students who are protesting on campus. If you ask them from which river to which sea will Palestine be free, they can't even answer that question for you. I, they I are want the you stupidest to, of the stupid. They really are. Uh, University of Pennsylvania senior, your age, Eval Yacobi said this about what he's experiencing. When uh, Congresswoman Stefanik asked Liz McGill a very direct and clear question, in my opinion, does the code of conduct of the University of Pennsylvania allow students and professors to, to say and rally around the idea of the genocide of Jews? It was a very direct question. And President McGill said there needs to be context provided to calling for the genocide of Jews. I don't understand what context she is referring to. Do you? Yeah, I think the context was very clear. It is calling for the genocide of Jewish people. There is no further context needed. I think, in other words, all of these women could have spared all of their breasts and just said, hey, we do not care about Jewish students. Call it a day and just show their anti-Semitism. Because by beating around the bush and pretending that more context was needed, they essentially said the same thing. And it's just, it's outrageous how it's tolerated. It is. Uh, Emily Austin, thanks so much. You see it every day. Uh, you also work in the NBA, so you're, you're going to live unscripted situations on a regular basis. You're also the host of the Hoop Chat and an Israeli advocate. Uh, Emily Austin, thanks so much. You listen to Brian Kilmeade, Shell. So glad you're here. Go to briankilmeade.com. Find where well, well, I'll be with Teddy and Booker T. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Big day. Thanks so much for being here. Tonight there'll be a debate. 
We're also seeing unfolding developments with uh, Senator Menendez and others following the war over in uh, Israel and, of course, the protests that never stop over here. But we'll take your calls. Also, and welcome in Martha McCallum. Then uh, Harris Faulkner will do a simulcast. Not only talking about what's happening in the news, but also my book, Teddy and Booker T, is out. Three straight weeks on the bestseller list. Thanks to you guys. I'm going to be going to Kentucky. Uh, and uh, WHIO listeners, I get to see you in Dayton on Friday, Saturday in Kentucky, Sunday in Charlotte, North Carolina. And then in a, two weeks from now, hope to see you in Michigan doing a live stage show, talking about all the books in historical fashion. It's motivational, inspirational. We have a great time. And then I'm going to be going over to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And you get a book with every ticket. So BrianKillMe.com. It's winning the war in history. That's what it is. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What we're doing here shows that Democrats are serious about getting Ukraine done and the Republicans are not. We're serious. We're giving them a golden opportunity to pass a proposal on border. He is so political, it's ridiculous. Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan have to be funded and protected. But I agree with Republicans. Border security has to be in this package. And tempers flare behind closed doors. Sam Cotton, Sam Cotton, Sam Cotton, Tom Cotton and Senator Crane go at it with Schumer and company. Number two. Does that speech not cross that barrier? Does that speech not call for the genocide of Jews and the elimination of Israel? You testify that you understand that is the definition of intifada. Is that speech speech according to the code of conduct or not? We embrace a commitment to free expression. Ugh, maddening. That is Harvard President Claudine Gay with... Elise Stefanik, keep heating up on all fronts. Israel's war versus Hamas rages in Gaza as campus violence and overhaul anti-Semitism hits a fever pitch. And it's clear, campus leadership indifferent. Number one. Fears of a dictatorship. The alarming prediction for a second Trump term. He says, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? I said, no, 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 other than day one. We're closing the border and we're drilling, drilling, drilling. After that, I'm not a dictator, okay? That is uh, Donald Trump having some fun but driving everybody crazy. The 2024 Trump Town Hall shows confident frontrunner and challenger uh, Nikki Haley gaining traction, donors and dollars, as both Biden, who claims he can only beat Trump, will he'll be the only one who could beat Trump on the left. We look at where we are 11 months from Election Day and six weeks from Iowa. And as I mentioned, in 10 minutes, we'll do a simulcast on FBN. You'll get a chance to see what we all look like. So last night, Donald Trump had everyone's head explode. When he came out and answered the question, as you know, and I played this montage for you yesterday, everyone decided that since Donald Trump's got a legitimate shot of winning, in fact, he's winning in every poll, the last poll, the Harris poll, has him up by seven, seven points. And you see how Joe Biden's struggling, can't give a speech, can't really complete a sentence, has trouble leaving a stage. You know, see that not one thing has really been done. You know, I saw this study today that talked about his infrastructure and his power stations uh, that was fully financed by $7 billion in the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, which he admits was a total lark. Do you know not one power station has been built with that $7 billion? He's not getting anything done. We see globally we're about to be on the precipice of World War III without the right leadership. So Donald Trump's got a legitimate shot, so they're calling him fascist, Marxist. He's going to turn into a dictatorship. So Sean Hannity gave him a shot. Just tell everybody, you're going to play with the, by the rules. You're going to stay one term. You're going to win, and you're going to make the country better and pick up where you left off. But instead, Donald Trump decides to be just a little bit provocative. Here's a little of the exchange uh, with Trump and Hannity. Cut to. Under no circumstances, you are promising America tonight 
you would never abuse power as retribution against anybody. Except for day one. Except for? He's going crazy. Except for day one. Meaning? I want to close the border and I want to drill, drill, drill. That's not not retribution. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, you know, he keeps, (laughs) we love this guy. He says, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? I said, no, 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 other than day one. We're closing the border. And we're drilling, drilling, drilling. After that, I'm not a dictator. So so the headline reads, day one, Donald Trump will be a dictator. And the montage goes off. Cut one. Is that what we would have if we reelect Donald Trump? I think it's it's a very, very real threat and concern. I think the phrase sleepwalking into a dictatorship um, should wake people up. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's not going to be the kind of dictatorship with concentration camps and martial law overnight, is it? That's not what we're going to get. We're going to get Trump borrowing from the Orban playbook in Hungary, from the Modi playbook in India. And what does that look like, Jason? What would that look like here in America? Fears of a dictatorship, the alarming prediction for a second Trump term. Liz Cheney is right what she said, that we are sleepwalking into a Donald Trump dictatorship if people don't wake up and remember what Donald Trump was to, to the four years, what he tried to do to our democracy. One thing, Lynn, uh, Liz Cheney's out of her mind. She used to work here. I used to talk to her all the time. She agrees with about 85 to 90 percent of what Donald Trump did as president of the United States. Now she's at MSNBC where they despise her and her dad. Believe me, they're just there because it makes Donald Trump look bad. You think they like Michael Cohen? He's just there because they make Donald Trump look bad. You know who they did like? Guys like Harold Ford, uh, who for a while was extremely valuable to them because he would actually call out Democratic policies and call out President Obama. When he was doing things like the apology tour that made no sense. So that's the problem. I hope Liz Cheney is smart enough to know that nobody wants her to run for president. She'll get nine votes. Jill Stein will do better than her. When we come back, do a simulcast with Harris Faulkner, squeezing some clothes on the other half. And Martha McCallum's been summoned to help make all of our lives better. You listen to Brian Kilmeade, Joe. So glad you're here. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome back. We're going to go do a simulcast with FBN, the great Harris Faulkner, the Faulkner Focus. And then coming up at the top of the hour, you'll have outnumbered on the channel, but it's our time to share audiences, our huge audience with our uh, hundreds of affiliates. And uh, FBN, the number one network in all the land, I think they're going to start off at the border with Bill Malusian. So it's our chance to go over a few things. So as we look at the debate tonight, there's no doubt about it. The dynamics will be somewhat different. You have Chris Christie on there. He's always great. and He did it at the last minute, and he's defied all the odds. Believe me, if you told me who's going to be still left up there, Tim Scott or Vice President Pence or Chris Christie, almost everybody would have said Chris Christie would be gone first. He's not. Number two, Vivek Ramaswamy, perfect foil for the others. He's got a uh, unorthodox foreign policy, to say the least. Great mind, great success, 37 years old, gets big crowds, but not getting big numbers. Donald Trump is there, number one in all the polls, number one with all uh, with financing, but uh, he doesn't debate. He says, uh, I don't need to. And then there's Nikki Haley, who is uh, surging, no doubt about it, just got a huge hit yesterday with a huge Democratic donor. The question is, should you even accept that money? 250 uh 
you know, $250,000 to accept it? I don't know. Uh, knowing that people don't really want anything good for me, I'm not sure if I would accept it, but it, I, I also know it's quite expensive to run for office. Right now, in a matchup with the President of the United States on the latest poll, coming from the Harris poll, she is up by four. She is up by four, but Trump is up by seven. In the, some of the latest polls, she's been up double figures to Trump. In certain states, uh, compared to Biden, uh, in certain states, she beats Biden by double figures, like Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. That's stunning. Isn't that interesting, though, too? So what she's getting is people like Ken Langone, one of the finest Americans ever, co-founder, co-founder, of, uh, co-founder of Home Depot, and it's worth $7 billion. He looks like he's going to be signing it. So let's listen to Harris Faulkner as she reads us into our first topic. Catholics as domestic terrorists. He claimed that agents' interview with a priest and a choir director was looking into an individual threatening violence and not Catholics as a group. Senator Josh Hawley of, of Minnesota bringing the heat. How many other parishes have you gone to to talk to choir directors, for heaven's sake? As I've said, the answer to that question. <laughs> No, I don't know the answer to that question. As soon as I saw it, I was aghast. I had it withdrawn. Really, you were aghast? I was. Oh, really? And what have you done about it? Did you fire the people who wrote it? No, I had it withdrawn. Have you fired anybody involved in it? Senator, if you will give me a chance to answer That's a yes or a no. It's not hard. You haven't done a darn thing. You haven't fired anybody. You admonished them. They were admonished. And their respective supervisors were told to engage with the Human Resources Division to ensure the deficiencies are addressed. Oh, well, I feel much better. They've been sent to bed without food. Ooh, and that was Senator Hawley from the show-me state of Missouri showing something to the FBI director. Brian Kilmeade, co-host of Fox & Friends and host of the Brian Kilmeade radio show and One Nation. Your take on how it played out on Capitol Hill and where this goes next with Ray. It would be so much better, Harris. Thanks for having me on. But it was so much better if Christopher Ray opened up with his remarks. He goes, there's been some regrettable incidents that have happened across the country, mm. but that aren't systematic, uh, systemic in a problem with the FBI. For example, the Catholic issue, when I found out a choir director was interviewed and a priest was talked to, but I was aghast and, above, and he hit it. And then you could talk about punishment. But instead, mm. you wait for a senator to bring it up. You sit there and act defensive because you should be defensive. It's indefensible to think that a choir director and priest would be shaken down to get information on a parishioner unless he was a megalomaniac or a, or a serial killer, which in this case was not the case. And instead, Christopher Ray plays defense. He also had couldn't answer the yeah. question, well, why didn't you say anything? The laptop was real. He said, well, I, don't, I just don't want to be part of the news. But by not being part of the news, by not getting ahead of this, you are the news. Because then we play. I watched that soundbite, not to the extent that you had it, but I watched versions of that soundbite all day yesterday. That yeah. doesn't help Christopher Ray's case to make him think that the FBI is straightening out its act. And it makes guys like Donald Trump and Nikki Haley and Chris Christie, not Chris Christie because he, he's the one who helped appoint Christopher Ray, but uh, everybody that at Vivek part. Ramaswamy say, when I get in there, he's gone. Well, look, it also sounds like Alejandro Mayorkas, the head of DHS, every time he's asked about, oh, say, 85,000 missing migrant children on his watch, so on and so forth, it is that, you know, sort of shock and awe and I'll look into it answer. Um, It's called impotence when it comes to one's job. That's what it looks like. You know, I'm so good you brought up the kids. There was, if there were a handful of kids missing during the Trump years, it was too many. And I agree. Wow, kids are in trouble. But we have tens of thousands of just off the grid. 
And we know there's human yeah. trafficking happening in this country and people are making money off it. Exactly. How, how is how is that not making it an emergency situation for any lawmaker on Capitol Hill? And I think that the messaging from Republicans should be better uh, right off the bat. Also, well, impeaching Mayorkas is a waste of time. Uh, the, we, he's not the problem. He's the one doing the policy. The emergency is next November. That's what they're all focused on. Um, bombshell new information from House Republicans. They say records show then-Vice President Joe Biden used email aliases and private email addresses to communicate with Hunter Biden and Hunter's business partners. So on the secret. Biden reportedly used those alias accounts 327 times. Wow, he had that much time. They also found that 54 of those emails were between him and Eric Schwerin. The committee calls him the, the architect of the Biden family shell companies. IRS whistleblower Joseph Ziegler sharing some shocking new information as well. He says Hunter Biden got a whopping $4.9 million from Hollywood lawyer Kevin Morris. No clarity yet on the big cash and what all of it was for. Here's Ziegler yesterday. I will say this again and again, that this is much bigger than the Hunter Biden investigation. This was not a personal attack on Hunter Biden, but a call for change. What we are presenting in our whistleblower complaints should scare and give concern to every American, regardless of your political affiliation, providing evidence that our justice system is broken and is not treating everyone the same. Republican leaders do say that the House will likely vote to formalize their impeachment inquiry into President Biden next week. Imagining all of this will go into that. Brian? Harris, you know what's so interesting? James Comer could have said the same thing, but they got that to Republican. They're out to get Biden. But when you have two IRS whistleblowers who have impeccable records, who are apolitical, who continue to come out with this thing called, drumroll please, facts, and say this is what a forensic investigation is for boring, most, for most of us who aren't good accountants, have, have a hard time just accruing our taxes and categorizing, these guys are. And these go, this is suspicious. And I want to ask you something. How many times is Joe Biden going to lie to us before we say he's a liar? He looked into that camera during the debates and said, 51 Intel experts said that was not my laptop. He knew it was his son's laptop. He knew those yeah. were his emails. And now he says he has nothing to do with his son's business dealings. Yet he knows he's dealing with his son's accountant, good friend, who is deciding who gets paid what. Hey, your son needs money here. Hey, Joe, you're going to need money to give to Hunter here. This guy was the traffic cop who was turned on the family, by the way, which is could be quite interesting behind closed doors. So he was knowing exactly. And after a while, no reason to call Hunter. There were some emails that go directly at him, as well as text messages. He was using Air Force Two as a corporate jet flying around uh, executing deals. He lied to us multiple times. What else is he lying about? This isn't gray area. This isn't twisting words. This is it is I wouldn't have nothing to do with my son's business dealings or my brother's. Harris, this is over the top. I, I have not asked anybody this, and we gotta be really quick. How much time do you think Republicans have to make this case before you are really into the season next year of a presidential run? I think after the conventions, this is still coming up in August and June, September. I think it's good to to impeach him. It's, it's not it's ridiculous. Yeah. I just look into it. Yes. Expose it. Yes. Impeachment. Waste of time. Got it. Brian Kilmeade. Not a waste of time. We've simulcast on so many platforms right now. Happy to be with you. Now, let me brag about your book. Brian's new book is out now for just in time for the holidays. It's called Teddy and Booker T. How two American icons blazed a path for racial equality. 
Brian, a little bit more about this. I just wanted to talk about two great Americans in the segregated South who knew our country was divided decades after the Civil War, who had to bring us through. They knew it was wrong, lynchings, poll taxes, Jim Crow. How do we make it better? How do we fix it? Booker T. Washington needed people of power to work with. He found it in Teddy Roosevelt. He found it in Andrew Carnegie. He found it in J.P. Morgan. And he's born a slave. He describes what that was like and still loved the country and made mm-hmm. it better. I was inspired to, to, to talk about it and to study it. So are you going to preach to all those people who say that there's so much systemic racism that, that we can't rise, that we have to dumb down math for people of color who look like me? I hope you get booked for some of those speeches on those college campuses. Yeah, I'll be talking about that on the 15th and 16th. We're on Fox Nation. We'll be streaming it uh, on BrianKillMe.com. Get tickets and you'll get a book. No one's trying to whitewash our history. I just want to talk about how far we've come, Harris. You know yep. it. Uh, and I think we, we should just be familiar yep. with it. Yep. Got to know where you've been to go to a better place. Absolutely. Good to see you. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Harris. Appreciate uh, it. All right. Uh, we do have, just just as I expected, we do have a minute when we get back. But I want to expand on what Harris just brought up on the impeachment. This is, you know, it was one of these things when you read it by yourself. Uh, and the truth is, I, the batteries on my remote went dead. And I am stuck on Channel 9, which is like an infomercial channel and locally. So I've been unable to flip around. And when I got on the train last night, I started reading this. And I felt like the stranger sitting next to me one seat away go, did you see this? In it, they find bank records showing that Eric Sherwin, on an alias of Joe Biden when he was vice president and after, dealing with him directly without Hunter. You're talking about Mexico. You're talking about Kazakhstan. You're talking about Ukraine. Money flowing in and out. Using Air Force Two to go to Mexico to meet with Kurt, uh, to Carlos Slim. These are bank records. It's not opinion. How many times is President Biden going to lie before you start saying he's not Uncle Joe? He's a huge, huge problem. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We are still seeing questions raised about whether he can actually pull this off again in 2024, looking at so many polls that seem to indicate that people are losing interest, that young people in particular are not sure that they can continue you know, voting for Biden, whether it's over his stance on Israel or other issues. So there are definitely warning signs there. And that is uh, Steph Knight of Axios talking about how President's, uh, President Biden's polling uh, is not great. Uh, but says that he's the guy who can beat Trump. Is he the only guy that can beat Trump? That was a a side comment made. I don't know if I would run if Trump wasn't running. And then later he kind of walked it back, and you'll hear from that. But Martha McCallum's here, been discussing that this morning. Uh, Martha, I guess before I ask you this, what about the news that we just got about Kevin McCarthy? He will not seek re-election. He says, I'm leaving the House after losing the speakership, but I'm not leaving the fight. Interesting move for Kevin McCarthy. Obviously, he went through a heck of a lot when you go back to the uh, multiple rounds that it took for him to be speaker. I think it was a lifelong dream of his to achieve that role. I think it was a bittersweet period in his life, for sure, an uphill battle. And I'm sure it's extremely frustrating for him to watch many of the things that he had put in place with regard to the um, with regard to the budget and the way he wanted to lay it out and break down those bills, Mike Johnson is essentially doing the same routine. So um, 
for for this for similar actions, he was booted out by eight people and all the Democrats in the House of Representatives. And uh, he's moving on. I mean, you know, it, he may be at a point in his life where he wants to do something that can make a little bit more money than you make working in Congress. Or he may be looking at, um, you know, potentially uh, other political options down the road. I just think that he'd be so when I watched his uh, resignation speech, which was over an hour, taking all these questions, you see his passion for foreign policy. Then mm-hmm. he came here and did a whole hour yep. on the radio show. And it's, he knows these people. And if any Repub- any Republican wins. Anybody who wants to know Congress? Yeah. Do you want to know foreign policy? Yes. Mm-hmm. Do you want to know to have maneuver what's possible, what would be bold and what would be dumb? That's Kevin McCarthy. And if it is Trump, he's one of the few people that can deal with Trump. I'm not saying, you know, I'm what not saying like him or dislike him. National Security Advisor, or Assistant Secretary of State, maybe even if you name Kevin McCarthy Secretary of State, if Pompeo wants it, he should get it back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you name him Secretary of State, I'd be totally comfortable with that because I think you. He would know how to do his own thing, what to bother Trump with, what I can handle by myself. Mm-hmm. I remember Condoleezza Rice said to me, I said, what is the big difference? And she said, I feel like I'm on my doing my own thing. Yeah. And you know how, how her and Bush 41, 43 got along. He goes, I really feel like I could do my own thing. I was like, wow, that's interesting. As Secretary of State, you really feel like you have your own business. Right. I mean, I think Hillary Clinton f- felt that way in that role she, as well. Yeah. And I think it was kind of, you know, it, she also lost a, a very tough race for her. And it was kind of a concession in some ways uh, that was given to her by Barack Obama. She had a lot of experience. So, uh, yeah, I think I think it's a great role for somebody who wants to kind of take off around the world and um, – and do their own thing. We live in a moment that's extraordinarily challenging for secretaries of state. I mean, Anthony Blinken's job is uh, is very difficult at this point. So we'll see. You got to love it. You want You got to want it. Uh, number two is chief of staff, too. I think he. Can uh, yeah, that, that, that's what comes to mind. I, I, I don't know. No I don't know if he wants it. that role, but we'll see. Yeah. But you know what? He'd be savvy enough to go. Yeah, you're not doing this. If you do that. I leave uh, and maybe rein him in because of that. I like to think that if if it is Trump, and we have so long far to go and four indictments to deal with, Absolutely. and ninety one long road ahead, but a little under a year. But if we were to sit there November fifteenth, and you're do kind enough to do our show, uh, to do this show, and we're talking about it, I would say that he'd be the perfect uh, chief of staff because I thought Mark Meadows was good. He got at least he understood Trump. He wasn't turning on Trump. Uh, he was bold enough to know when he was being steamrolled and said, "Listen, I, you can't do this." I think Kevin McCarthy would walk away better than do anything that would get him in legal problems. And I think Trump might be a little, dare I say, a little gun shy about doing things that put him in jeopardy. Maybe not. I don't know. I, I don't I, I've never seen anything that changed President Trump's demeanor. I think he is who he is. I think he's 77, I believe, yes. right now. Um, I, you know, I, I don't think anything will change his demeanor. And I think that that, that that's the first role that popped into my head, uh, potentially chief of staff. But, you know. We don't want to get too far over our skis on this, but it, 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 we're talking about it, obviously, because Kevin McCarthy has decided he's going to leave the House. It's just been he's been in for, I don't know, probably 16 years, something along those lines, maybe longer. Um, loves California. You know, I think there's a, a number of places where he could serve. Remember what he did in 2020. We were so caught up in the presidential race in the Senate. But in the House, he closed that gap miraculously to the point where we expected it to flip in the midterms. And you could argue that abortion flipped it. What about President Biden's statement last night, not denied, that he said the only reason I'm really in is because I got to stop Trump? Do you think that's that's a thought, even though he beat him once? Do you really think that he's the only Democrat or the most likely Democrat to beat Trump? I don't see it that way. 
Well, he has said as much before. You know, he said, I, I'm in this because Trump is running and he doesn't want he wants to prevent him from being president. I'm not sure. I mean, that was exact. That was the whole routine last time around. And it worked. I'm not sure you can win on that twice when you've had a four year presidency. Now he has an enormous record. I mean, you have to really put yourself back in the moment that elected Biden. This The country was shut down. He was in his basement. There was a lot going on uh, that people were dealing with. And I think he was just seen as sort of this safe placeholder in some ways, right? And he said that himself. I went back to a March date in 2020, which is really just the beginning when COVID was shutting down. And he got on stage uh, during that campaign and he said, I'm just a bridge to the future. You know, he was trying to convince voters, I think, at that point, look, I know I'm an older gentleman and I'm a statesman. I've been around for a long time, but just vote for me now. I will hold I'll hold the temperature. I'll bring people together. And then I've got this great I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be the bridge to the future. And while he said that statement on the stage were Kamala Harris, Gretchen Whitmer, Cory Booker and Pete Buttigieg. And he you know, gesture to them, like, look at this amazing lineup. So obviously he doesn't feel that way anymore. And he's saying, I have to stick around on my best hope. Pete Buttigieg, that's a name I haven't heard at he said, all. He said that he no, reminded saying, him of his son. Right. Of uh, Bo. Okay, well, three years. It was years, a loving speech. Three yep. years later. Whole different story. Whole nobody different story. nobody says, oh, he'd be perfect. He thought he'd have a low-profile key cabinet position. And it's been one disaster after another. Some of it's circumstantial. Some of it is just he won't put his hand on the steering wheel. Uh, I want you to hear what, what he said hours later. Cut three. Would you be running for president Trump wasn't running? I, I expect so. But look, he is running, and I just I have to run. He's not out of Trump right now. No, not now. And he just earned $15 million going overseas. Uh, excuse me, going over to, uh, going out to the West Coast. Um, and fundraising in New England. He's making a lot of money for the campaign right now. You know, I, I, I just I think that's the way that he I think that's the way he sees it. He doesn't see any alternative. He doesn't see the ability to step aside um, I, I gracefully and say this is a person. But that that's a pretty d- difficult situation to be in. I mean, look, look at, you know, they played that RNC montage, which obviously they want to put him in the worst light possible, but it's not that hard when you put together all of these gaffes. I still think, and President Trump said it last night, I still think there's a chance that he does not go all the way through with this, but his problem is there's nobody waiting in the wings. Intentionally, I mean, it's not like they don't have people that they think could do the job, right? When you think that they think that Whitmer would be a good president, they think that Gavin Newsom would be a good president, they think that Jared Polis would be a good president. Mm -hmm. Uh, Although every time I say that, People from Colorado write me and say, stop saying he's a moderate, even though he came out and said we need to lock down the border. He says statements like that that Mm -hmm. I truly appreciate. Listen to what President Trump said about after hearing uh, Joe Biden said what we just went over. Cut five. Personally, I don't think he makes it physically. I watched him at the beach. He wasn't able to lift a beach chair, which is meant for children to lift. You can lift him like that. Uh, And mentally, I would say he's possibly equally as bad and maybe worse. So that's interesting the, that he thinks that he won't make it. That's because everything about President Trump is running against Joe Biden. I don't see any look out for the rest of the field. They're coming. Yeah, I, I mean, I I think there's always a possibility that there's an unforeseen incident. How do that you changes do it, though? This. How do you do it? You just name someone at the convention and forget the whole primary you, process? Well, you have to, right? I mean, if for some reason he decides he cannot serve or doesn't, 
isn't ready to do another term, they're going to have to figure it out. I mean, that, that's what parties do. It's not completely set in stone. There are a lot of rules. But if they if they don't have a candidate, then they're going to have to find one. And I think it would be, um, you know, an open forum at the convention. It would be fascinating from a historical political historical perspective. So LinkedIn co-founder Reid Hoffman, a Democratic donor who wants Joe Biden to win, is so anti-Trump. He has given $250,000 to a pro-Haley super PAC. J.P. Morgan, CEO Jamie Dimon, is urging everyone to support, urging Democrats last week to rally around Nikki Haley. And we know that Nikki Haley also— In the primaries. In the primaries. We know that Nikki Haley also is about to get Ken Langone and his financial support. Mm -hmm. Well, let me ask you, when someone wants you to win the primary, that's because they believe they can beat you in the general— when conventional wisdom would be Nikki Haley would be more dangerous to Joe Biden in the general or anybody. Yeah, I, I, I think that the motivation of those and Jamie Dimon, you know, I mean, I, I don't see him as um, as very partisan. I think he wants what's best for the country. Well, why would Democ- Why would he want Democrats because to support he, Nikki Haley? Because he wants to prevent a Trump nomination. He's or anti-Trump. Or does he think that Haley can be easily beaten or you just think I, well, she's I a mean, better nominee? Every poll that we see shows Nikki Haley seven to ten points ahead of Joe Biden. I think that's a very difficult race for Joe Biden if that ends up to happen, which at this moment doesn't look likely at all. Um, but I, I think he's, you know, he he's not alone in wanting to turn the page and see new blood in the office. And I think that's what they're pushing for. I don't know the other. I don't know enough about the the Lincoln uh, guy that you mentioned to know what his motivation is. But I think I think Diamond really wants to move the country forward. He also supported that E. Carroll uh, civil rape suit. That's how this guy did. He actually says, if you go ahead and E. Jean, uh, Jean Carroll, if you go ahead and sue him, I will pay all your legal this bills. This is the Lincoln guy. The LinkedIn mm-hmm. guy, yeah. yeah. So, Martha, and you might not have an answer to this. I was kind of shocked. I've heard this two or three times. I heard it personally, and then I heard it last night on Laura's show. Mm-hmm. That Nikki Haley does not have support of the base. That I know that they choose Trump. I get it. But without Trump... Is that true that she does not have the support of the base? Well, I I think it's possible. Um, I think that the most of the Trump base, from what we see in the polling, would lean more DeSantis. If you know, if you're saying Trump's not a choice, right, right for whatever reason, I think that group leans more DeSantis. Because um, he has they, a year of the they're base. just more directly aligned, and uh, I think that she, you know, she's taking great pains and she's having a lot of success on the campaign trail to, you know, talk about her conservative bona fides. She says, I don't want Democrat voters. I want, you know, I want to prove that I'm the true conservative here. So it's not a judgment on whether or not, you know, how conservative she is, but it just seems from what we've seen so far that those conservative voters tend to lean more to Santos than, than Haley. But is, we'll there see. Any, is there any doubt? We've got to see what happens in Iowa. I mean, no one's, no one's voted yet. So we'll see what those base voters really. Any feel. doubt that Governor Haley is targeted tonight? In the debate. As well, the chief she's, she's absolutely the person who's getting all the oxygen and the gravity right now. They will absolutely go after. And you've seen it in, in recent days. You've seen DeSantis really sharpening his sword against Haley, call, saying that she's not a conservative, um, you know, going after the, 
the China connection, the board, uh, the board that she was on, I think, for 10 months or something at Boeing, which is um, not an unusual thing for someone to do who's, uh, you know, a former corporate leader or governor. So um, I, I think for sure they're going to have to go after her. And I think really everybody wants to see DeSantis and Haley. And, you know, Vivek will. Vivek will. Yeah, that's what he does. Yeah, he'll, he'll, he will. He'll. Martha has a great show lined up at three o'clock. Uh, she's going to tell us in a moment who's going to be on. And we also write in the news that Kevin McCarthy says, that's it. I'm finished. I'm through. I will not be running for re-election on my seat now that I'm not speaker. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. We are back. Martha McCallum here. And don't forget, Teddy and Booker T is now out. I hope to see everybody Friday night in Dayton, although we're sold out. If I if you can't get in, BrianKilmeade.com. I can personalize that on Saturday in Kentucky. Can I get in if I show up? You use my name? <laughs> if you use my name, you're I Martha know McCallum. Brian. And Sunday in, uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, before we go any further, I want to know who's on your show. So we have I a big lineup today. To yeah, um, John Kirby is going to brief right before we get started about um, a lot of we. You know, we had this announcement from the DOJ this morning and from the FBI about this humanities um, case that they have been covering. Then we're also going to talk about the sexual atrocities against women that have been committed by Hamas and all of that. Mike Pompeo is with us today. Jack Keane is with us today on the push into the south in the Gaza Strip and how that's going militarily and whether or not they can snuff out these Hamas leaders that they believe are in that region. So we're going to talk to him about that. Patrick Murphy uh, is with us as well today. Bill Malusian, we're going to make a stop with him. John Thune is joining us as well. well. And Saul Weisenberg uh, is going to talk about Joe Biden and whether or not he had to have been privy to his his son's overseas business dealings in order to receive even these small dollar checks from that account. So we're going to get Saul's take on this pending impeachment vote that we think is going to happen next week. Martha, of course he knew it. I mean, this is unbelievable. The aliases that he used 327 yes. times over the last time, nine years. That is incredible. Why? I, and have you ever seen, and we're, we're doing some work on this um, to get ready for the show on this question, but, you know, ha- has anyone really pressed Crean Jean-Pierre? Like, who is Robert Peters and why does the president use his name when he sends emails? And are they going to deny it? Do they say, well, that isn't him? They didn't come from him. What is the president doing when he was vice president using three different made up email names in emails? We don't know the contents of them because it's just metadata, but they're emails back and forth to his son's business partner. And then it was without his son even on the email. It right. was right to Eric Sherwin, who doesn't, who had a fallout with the family. Might be an interesting interview. Very. Uh, Eric Sherwin, who he used to be the hand fi- family financer. Remember, he would be on like Hunter. Tell your dad he needs to put money in your account. Hey, uh, right. You know, tell the pre- vice president he's got to do this. So he was moving money around, coaching the family. And after a while, you had uh, him going directly to him fifty-four times, just Eric to Joe. So the bank uh, saw something suspicious about it. And what's so interesting is this was presented by the IRS whistleblowers with no known political affiliation or axe to grind. Yeah. Not Jamie Comer. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we're going to talk to Saul Weisenberg about that because, you know, there's a lot of pushback. Uh, you know, it means nothing. You know, all the usual suspects are saying it's nothing, no big deal. But uh, we want to get his take on it because he's a super smart uh, attorney and 
former independent counsel. So we'll talk to him about that. Um, I don't know. I'm interested in this. Like, why why is Taylor Swift the person of the year? I, I, I want to get into that a little bit. Have you ever seen her concert? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And is she great? As you, I, I've never seen it. I've never really been interested. You know, I, you know what? She's an amazing performer. Um, she has a great hold on these crowds, enormous crowds of people who absolutely like love religious. her. I don't want to take anything away from that. She she absolutely is a, is a great performer. Uh, you know, I mean, people love her. That's all. I, I'm not, I don't but understand don't get, it. I don't understand it. Yeah, I don't understand it. She's probably an economic force. Remember how Canada wanted her to go there? She's a huge economic. No, I I give her so much credit, Brian. She's built an enormous business, and there is no debate. She's the biggest star in the world. There's no debate about that. But how big? And if you're tall, she'd be wearing heels on stage. Is that too much of a challenge for a woman? Why would it be? Dancing, jumping. She can do it. Tall already. But is it too much? You're worried about her wearing heels on stage? Is that wrong? Find something else to worry about. Really? That's all I have to worry about. The rest of my life's going great. Martha at 3 o'clock. Thanks. Thanks. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.